What a week it's been for the U.S. men's national team defeating Costa Rica 1-0 and most recently tying Mexico 1-1 in Mexico City. This is the SBI Podcast. I am Garrett Cleverly. The other guy is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Garrett? Nothing much, dude. Just uh, enjoying the weather in Dallas. It's good to know that you made it back from Mexico. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a crazy week. Uh, you know, spent the week at altitude in Denver and Mexico City and have to tell you, it was, it was one of the more memorable weeks uh, covering this U.S. national team. I've been I've been covering the team for for a long time now, and and I can't remember a, a week like this. I mean, other than World Cups, where you had a team kind of go through so much and and, and deal with so many things and and come out uh, w- with the results that they were looking for. Well, you had to. I mean, talk about the experience that you had. You got to go up to uh, Denver and see that game in the snow, then down to Mexico City and. And uh, watch the team there. And, I mean, you've been with this team pretty much this whole entire trip right here. And, uh, you know, give us some insight, Ivis. What's it like being with this team? I mean, I remember you talking about going into the Mexico game that this team was playing with house card money. I mean, how, how, how confident is this team? Well, you could, you could tell after that game in Costa Rica, against Costa Rica that, you know, there was just a sense of relief around the team. You know, they, there was definitely some tension, some, uh, some pressure was on them before that game on Friday. But, you know, after they won in the snow – uh, you know they had a the couple days in Denver before they went to Mexico, and you could just tell uh, that they were there was it was a relaxed bunch, it was a confident bunch, and and that translated well to the Mexico game where they, you know they took on a real dangerous Mexico team and and really played with confidence and and they played without fear down in Azteca, and I've been you know I've been down there a few times and I was my third qualifier mm-hmm. at Azteca that I've been to and and I feel like this was the most confident team that I can recall. I mean, obviously in 2009, the U.S. team took the early lead on Mexico. But even that team, you could tell kind of, you know, in the second half especially, they kind of, you know, succumbed to the pressure of Azteca and, and everything that, that 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 comes with playing in front of 100,000 fans. But this team uh, on Tuesday just didn't blink. And, uh, you know, they took every punch that Mexico threw. They threw a few of their own. They, uh, you know, they weren't afraid to, to, to you know, tussle with Mexico and, and get physical with them. And I know, I know some people will complain about the lack of chances and, and you know what, that, that people need to realize it's not easy playing in Mexico at altitude in that stadium and uh, to come away with a point and be the, you know, the only the, I believe only the eighth time in the history of world cup qualifying that a team has gone there and gotten at least a point. Only one team has ever won a game down there in qualifying. So, I mean, you know, I, I know some people want to make fun and make jokes about the fact that, the U.S. was so happy getting a draw, but anyone who makes fun of that really <laughs> doesn't have a clue about the historical context of a result like that. I mean, obviously, you'd rather have a win, but a tie is so important for what they want to do, and, and ultimately, the, what matters most is qualifying. Well, we, I mean, it's funny when you look at it, Ivis, because going into the World Cup qualifying, when, when you look at this schedule, Honduras on the road, Costa Rica at home, and Mexico away, I, th- I think we all would have been probably more or less pleased with six points out of those three games. Okay, we would have been happy with four points, but to get one of those points coming from the Mexico game, I mean, talk about just how happy, I mean, not happy, but just how kind of surprising that is that that, that one point from the Mexico game, and you're right. I mean, this Mexico team is not is a little down right now, but hey, you don't choose your schedule. You play the games when they're supposed to be played, and you take advantage of that. And for a lot of these players, Ivis, when we look at the Mexico game, a lot of these guys aren't regular starters. Guys like Brad Guzan is, is probably one right there for sure. You know, Tim Howard, that's his position right there. Injury out, 
Guzan steps in. But when you talk about the Mexico game, I mean, you have to talk about so many just stellar performances by so many guys who, you know, now we look at it and we say, hmm, the center back position for the U.S. men's national team is not a point of concern anymore. You know, coming into these games, there were obviously a lot of question marks about the defense with all the injuries and, and also, you know, people who just weren't playing games. Talking when you talk about Carlos Bocanegra, Fabian Johnson, Steve Trenolo, Timmy Chandler, when all those guys, you know, showed up injured or, or were passed on by Klinsman, the, the, it was definitely some some questions about the back line and what it would look like and would it be able to hang uh, hold up against you know two pretty good attacks in Costa Rica and, and Mexico, and and the fact that this U.S. group, this group of U.S. defenders, was able to put together two shutouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, is outstanding, and it and it definitely subtly makes you feel like there's a little more depth maybe than we than we thought there was. Well, when you talk about the depth right there, I mean Omar Gonzalez is a guy that we've talked about for a while as you know possible pegged for for the future center back position, and and, and maybe before these games, you know he was he was still developing as a player, but but now after that Mexico game right there, Ivis, I mean you had to be pretty satisfied with the pairing that he and Beasler had back there. I mean, Beasler looked a little little shaky in the first half, but I think he kind of came together along in the second half. And then when you look at the outside positions on defense, I mean, Jeff Cameron, Demarcus Beasley, I think overall you had to just be very pleased with how those four players played back there. Oh, without a doubt. I thought Omar Gonzalez, you know, on Tuesday night, he was the man of the match for me. He was just dominant in the air. He made every play that you had to make. And, and, while he was the man of the match, I think the most uh, you know surprising slash impressive showing was Matt Beisler for him on mm-hmm. his own, only his second appearance, only his second national team cap to go play in Azteca against Mexico and against a player like Chicharito Hernandez, who we all know is one of the top, if not the top striker in CONCACAF. But for Beisler to step in there and play the way he did, and then play the way he did carrying a yellow card, which he, you know he drew a yellow card early on on a foul uh, yes. uh, on Gio De Santos that you know that. It could have real. It could have gotten real ugly for Matt Beasler. I mean, he could have, he could have started playing tentatively because of the yellow. He could have got a second yellow. But you know what? He just, he just stepped it up. He just kept playing. He played. You know, the yellow card didn't bother him, and and he did not look at all like a novice. He did not look like someone who was on his second cap. He looked like someone who was on his fiftieth cap. And now, you know, all of a sudden, you look at these two guys, these two MLS defenders, and and they they are the last two MLS defenders of the year. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't come as a complete shock. But I think anyone who had questions about them being able to handle themselves against top competition, I think those questions were answered. Well, obviously, I think it also goes to show how important that January camp was because these two guys, you know, are familiar with each other. And it goes to show how important that familiarity it is to have with another player back there, a guy that that you know what he's going to do, you know what he's capable of, you know what what the expectations are. And I think that I think that went to show because especially in the second half when Mexico kept pushing, pushing, pushing. I really have to say that that you you know I definitely saw you know Beasler step up a couple times and intercept a couple passes and I mean and Gonzalez did a great job clearing the ball out with a ton of headers in that game and overall I mean you had to be happy with both of those guys' performances but when you talk about another player that was on the defense Ivis Demarcus Beasley was clearly the man of the match in the Costa Rica game he looked a little shaky in the Mexico game possibly because he was a little hurt in that game but I mean he, dude he he. He toughened up, he played hard, and I thought he did a very, very good job. Not great, but I thought he did a good job back there at the left-back position, and, and maybe we could see him there in the future. Is that a possibility that he could be there in future qualifying games? Well, it's something that it's something that Clemson is going to have to think about. Um, I still think Fabian Johnson, when Fabian Johnson is healthy, he's your left-back. He's the best left-back in the pool. But that being said, now you have another option in Beasley. And mm-hmm. I, I can't for the life of me understand 
how anybody could look at that Mexico game and give Beasley a bad grade. And I know some people did it. Mm-hmm. I know some people, uh, you know, wanted to say he had a he had a poor game. Listen, he was going up against some some quality attacking players in Javier Aquino and Gio DeSantos. It was clear that they were trying to target him, trying to pick on him. And did he have a few struggles early on? Yes, he did. But he kept playing. He played through it all. He made he made a bunch of of interceptions. Uh, he got in the way. He forced those guys in, in, into less than ideal you know shots and crosses. Did he get beaten a few times? Absolutely got beat. But, I mean, people need to you – always, you always have to put it in context, how a player does, and especially a defender. Look at the opponent. Look at look at who they're going up against. And and he went up against two truly dangerous attacking players, and he held his own. And he fought through – like you said, he fought through injuries. I mean, he, he – you know, someone – a player stepped on his hand. Uh, he hurt his ankle. He, he was grabbing his hamstring. I mean, he could have at any point uh, asked to come out of that match, but he played the full 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Playing a combined 180 minutes in four days, and for someone like him to come in there who hadn't started a national team game in three years and put together the kind of games that he did, I mean, you just have to stand up and applaud him for for doing that, for for stepping up when the team needed him the most. And and is he is he going to be the second choice full, uh, left back now? Maybe not. You know, maybe Edgar Castillo once Castillo's healthy, kind of moves back in there. But if anything, it shows that there is more depth there than we realized. And Beasley, I think he did enough to, to stay in the pool, and he's going to be someone Klinsman is going to want to have on on future rosters. Well, I mean, I think you can obviously say that the man of the match was Brad Guzon in that game. I mean, you talk about his performance in there, Ivis. Some big-time stops for him. And, and yes, he did get a lucky maybe a couple times you could say that. But overall, though, I mean, you have to just you have to just applaud the performance that he had. And, and like I said, I mean, anyone who reads this, just the, everyone doesn't watch Aston Villa and they just read the stats, they might be being like, oh, well, Brad Guzan's not that good. We talk about this all the time. I mean, but Brad Guzan's having a fabulous year for Aston Villa and that clearly translated over this national team. And hey, I mean, two shutouts back-to-back for him and, and some big-time saves in that Mexico game. God, I mean, you got to love just having a solid number two on this U.S. men's national team for goalkeeper in case Tim Howard gets injured again. Right. I mean, I know some people will already starting the conversation about, you know, is Guzan pushing Tim Howard for the number one spot? Is he the new number one? And I'm sorry, folks, but Tim Howard is still the number one. That being said, for the first time in a long time, you have two goalkeepers who are more than capable and worthy of being the number one, Mm -hmm. clear-cut number one. Uh, I think, honestly, since Keller, since Casey Keller, uh, you know, around the World Cup, just before the 2006 World Cup, when it was Keller and Tim Howard, I think not since then have we had two clear-cut top-level, uh, you know, European-based goalkeepers who are playing really well. And and, and you know, Guzan. I mean, he he made every play that he had to make. I mean, he made he made especially at the end when you know they, you, you think he might have been lulled to sleep and thought you had the result already. And Mexico puts a couple of chances in there, and, mm-hmm. and Guzan made. You know, he stepped up. He made, he made every play. And and another thing that I thought was impressive is that his teammates were clearly confident enough in him to pet to get send, send balls back to him. Uh, to relieve pressure, and and he and he handled that. You know, he he he's not known as the most technical goalkeeper. You know, someone who's got good feet. I know there were questions about, oh yeah, you know, Nick Romano's better technically, has better feet. Uh, but Guzan showed he can do that too. You know, he can handle the ball. You send it his way. He can get rid of it and move it around. Uh, it, but it was just a complete all-around performance. And right now, he is. I mean, he, he's been the number two for a while now. But now you can almost argue that he's one B as opposed to the number two goalkeeper. Okay, well, here's an interesting thought. I want to throw at you and, and see what you think about this. And not that I want to you know, say, oh, it was, it was, you know, it was good that Tim Howard got injured because Brad goes on in there. But, but you, it's funny when you look at the injury to Tim Howard, it kind of maybe 
kind of maybe came at a good time because when you look at a guy like Uzan, I mean, he's had to play all season long 100% with his back to the wall, constant goals being thrown at him, constant shots being thrown at him. And I mean, this performance for him against the Mexico, it wasn't any different than what he sees every single week in the EPL. And I mean... It just it just seemed to work out very well for this team right now to get a goalie like that who's just been playing all season long. Just just he's had to be perfect all season long for his club team. And then when you get a team like Mexico, you knew that Mexico was going to throw everything they had at that goal, and it just kind of it just kind of worked out. Doesn't it seem to always just work out for this U.S. team, Ivis? I don't know about always, but right now it's <laughs> working out pretty well, considering you know how bad how bad things seemed before these games when when all these injuries happened. Uh, and all of, and, and the number of injuries that happened the very weekend before they announced the roster, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it almost seemed fishy. It was like, you know, we already knew about a few of them. Obviously, Fabian Johnson, we knew was hurt. Uh, Clint Dempsey, we knew was hurt, but he was coming back. Tim Howard, we knew he wasn't going to be there. But then there was all these other injuries. I mean, Jose Torres, Danny Williams, Timmy Chandler, uh, even Don Jonathan Spector, someone who was going to get called in, and then for because of these other injuries, and then he got hurt. So, I mean. You know, you, you almost thought the U.S. was cursed, but I, they they come in, they post two shutouts. Say what you want about that snow game. I know some people will still complain, especially non-American soccer fans. You know, whether you're you know Mexican, Canadian, Costa Rican, there's like, oh, the snow. They shouldn't have played this and that. You know what? Both teams played on the snow, and the U.S. did what they had to do. And I I don't think anyone would have complained, and I don't think, especially I don't think Costa Rica would have complained. If they would able to, if they would have been able to get a point, a goal on on the board and come away with a point, you would not have heard another thing about it. But because they lost, they had to file the protest and try to make it a big deal. But you know what? Mm-hmm. The U.S. won that game. That's all that matters. And now they're moving on to June, feeling pretty good about themselves. Well, Ivis, as as the roller coaster that it is for the U.S. team, I mean, come on, we we knew that last week was you know the down part of the roller coaster, and you know we should have known that this week was clearly going to be the up point of that roller coaster ride. Well, I mean, I tell you what, a lot of people were worried. A lot of people, at, at last Thursday, last Friday, a lot of people didn't know what was going to happen because, you know, this defense was it was such a question mark. You you didn't know how you didn't know how how uh, how Clinton would put the group together. And uh, you know, he you got to give him credit. I mean, Jurgen Clinton, you know, for all the you know criticism and controversy over the sporting news story that that you know had some unnamed uh, U.S. national team players criticize him for for his coaching you know quality and whether or not maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing i mean there's that there's that suggestion i tell you what after this week he he's definitely bought himself uh some respect and some credit and 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 maybe you know some patience from people that you know he got the job done uh amid, amid some serious some serious issues when you talk about all these injuries i mean to fight all through all these injuries to put the team together and get four points uh against two tough opponents I mean, he deserves he deserves a lot of credit, and it's crazy to think that just a week ago we were already talking about, oh, you know, what would it take to get Clinton fired if they lose all three? Will you fire him? And get look what he did. You know, he, mm-hmm. he just he got the job done. So I'd say, yeah, I think now he's you know between him and the team, there's a lot less pressure, and I'm pretty excited to see how this team looks when they when they have some home games, which they're going to have in June. Well, I also want to point out studies now show that when Michael Orozco is on the U.S. men's roster in Mexico, they have yet to lose. Well, not only that, Jurgen Klinsmann has never lost uh, against Mexico in any 
capacity. So I think as long as he's head, he's the head coach, the U.S. has got to be feeling pretty good. <laughs> well, Ivis, let's look at the rest of the CONCACAF here. Now USA is at four points, one win, one draw, and one loss. Uh, they had the two, I mean, you, had to, you talk about two tough games, Honduras on the road, Mexico on the road. Those are done. You don't have to worry about going there anymore. But now when we look at the overall CONCACAF as a whole, Panama, they are now leading it. They have yet to lose um, in, in, in the next round. I mean, Panama tied Jamaica one-to-one. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Panama beat Honduras, excuse me, two to zero, and Costa Rica beat Jamaica two to zero right there. And the top three teams right now, Panama, Costa Rica, U.S., followed by Honduras, Mexico, and Jamaica. But everyone is still within striking distance of each other. No one's really separated from the group, so we still have a long way to go. Um, but, you know, when you when you look at the group right now, Ivis, and the current standings, you know, is everything, I mean, Mexico clearly is probably going to qualify, but when you kind of look at everything else, is there anyone that's kind of surprising you? Is Panama surprising you with their start so far? Well, I'd say, you know, they're, they're a good veteran team. They have that nucleus of players that has been together since, you know, go as far back as the 2007 Gold Cup. But even that being said, I mean, I don't know if many would have expected them to be unbeaten through three games and have a, you know, have five points in in, the, in hand. Um, you know that they're going to be right there. They're mm-hmm. going to be in the conversation. Um, but for me, I still think the top three teams. For, uh, you know, results early results aside, I think Honduras and Mexico. I think they're going to be there at the end. But no, you got to give Panama a lot of credit. They've had two home games. That's and 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 you, and you should definitely look at that um, when, when you think about what their 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 record is right now. But the the true test is going to come for them now. These next two games for Panama. Where they 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 play host you know they play Mexico and then they play the U.S. and that's going to really really tell us just how how legitimate Panama is and uh, you know it's not going to be an easy road for them but if they can get points out of those games if they can get three or four points from those two games all of a sudden they're sitting really pretty but uh, you know right now I personally would not want to play Mexico in in June because I think they're going to come out like you know, they're a good team you know they they are they obviously are having their issues no question about it, but there is too much talent on that team for them to keep having these struggles. I think they're going to turn it around, and though that first group, you know, first set of games in early June is really going to tell us a lot. You know, with the U.S. playing Jamaica, they have a chance to put Jamaica really out of the out of the mix. Yes, win there. I know they I know they lost in September to Jamaica, but again, that was two set pieces. Jamaica didn't have much else going on in that game. I don't know. I just don't see them having repeating that. I don't see the U.S. losing to Jamaica for a second time. Uh, and then you talk about Costa Rica and, and uh, Honduras, two teams that you know you you got to think are, are fighting for for that top three spot. And Honduras, all of a sudden, you know they they get shut out in Panama. They they're reeling a little bit, um, but that's going to be a game you want to see because you want to see how how Costa Rica responds, how Honduras responds coming off a loss. And, and I, it, it, too bad this, this, we have, we're going to have to wait two months, but I tell you what, it's going to be worth the wait. Well, I think you're right. When you look at the schedule going into June, I mean, there's going to be three games in June, not two, uh, like we saw this this uh, this past week, but there's going to be three. And you're right. I mean, Jamaica has a very tough June. they got to take on U.S. at home. Then they have to go to Honduras to take on Honduras. I mean, that's stupid. Take on Honduras. Some kind of an idiot, uh, and then and then they're home against uh, Mexico. So you could really see Jamaica, um, kind of at that point after June, kind of being done. And then you see another team like Honduras. Honduras could really separate themselves. They got Costa Rica, and then they're also taking on Jamaica. So I, I think after June, Ivis, maybe we should start to see the kind of the top four teams, top five teams really kind of advance. And, and and I think after June, maybe we can start to look at it and say, okay, maybe these are the teams that are starting to separate themselves and prove that these are the teams that can go on to the next round. Well, I'll tell you what, when you look at the schedule and you look at the way these teams have looked, I think 
those three those three games in June, I, I don't know if more than one team is going to fall out. I think if a team, if there's a team that looks like they're ready, that they could fall out of the mix. It's Jamaica. Um, although that being said, everything changes with a win against the U.S. If they beat the U.S., yeah. then all, all bets are off. They're right back in the conversation. But, um, you know, it, if you think that if you figure the U.S. playing as well as they are and being as confident as they are, if they get that win in Jamaica, Jamaica will kind of slip out of the mix. Uh, but even with that, you're still going to have, I think, five teams that are going to be all in the conversation because I think Mexico is going to eventually turn it around. I think Panama is going to come back to the pack. And I think it's going to come down to Costa Rica and Honduras, which of those two teams really steps it up. Um, but I think once we get through those three June games, I think you're still going to have five teams all in the mix. I've been saying it for a while, and I know a lot of people have been saying it for a while. This is the most competitive CONCACAF hex that anyone can remember. And, uh, you know, every team can get a result. Even Jamaica can get a result. Uh, so, you know, these June, June games are going to be really telling. And what I'm looking forward to seeing is what Klinsman does – if he has a full, healthy squad, who he turns to, um, you know, who 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 gets the gets the nod, the starting nods in those games, because as you, as we saw, so many guys stepped up here in this in these last few games, and and if your friends gonna you're gonna have some really tough decisions to make. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, especially, uh, you know, a couple other guys, uh, you said, I mean, they, they have a chance to maybe come back. Uh, not that I want to go too far ahead, but Stuart Holden can maybe get some more playing time. And, and, and I mean, there's other guys, too, but I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a... Well, there's one there, there's one guy, Landon Donovan. Yes, 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 that's yes. The first name on any list is Landon Donovan when you talk about guys who could come back into the U.S. mix. Well, geez, Ivis, I, I wanted to save Landon Donovan talk for later in the show. Do you want to talk about it now? Uh, we, can, we can wait. We can hold off. Okay, we'll, we'll hold off because... On Monday, caught up in. I think I think some of us missed this because caught up in all the uh, the hoopla that it was of uh, USA playing in Mexico. The draw for the U twenty World Cup came out, and uh, man, USA talk about the group of death. Oh no, question, Garrett. When you talk about all the possible scenarios for the U.S., there, there, there wasn't a worse one for them than, than than going up against two European powerhouses in Spain and France. That being said. Two things to consider with the U.S. and mm-hmm. the, the, the U-20 World Cup is, number one, a third-place team can advance out of the group phase. So it's not the end of the world if they can't handle these European powerhouses. On the other hand, you have to consider the fact this is a great showcase for them. Uh, two top opponents, two teams that scouts are obviously going to go watch. So if you're players like Jose Villarreal, if you're someone like Jose Villarreal or Mario Rodriguez or Danny Cuevas, I mean, this is going to be a golden opportunity for you to show your stuff against some of the top teams in the world. And the uh, the the last team is not announced yet. It's an unnamed team from Africa. And this isn't, I mean, Ivis and I were joking before the show. It's not like some country you've never heard of. It's that the, the country from Africa has yet to be announced to be a part of their group. So you never know, Ivis. I mean, it could be, uh, could be another powerhouse. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They could end up having three tough teams to deal with. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, yes, you, you want to win that tournament. You want to finish in, as high as you can but i think it, it, the, the important thing is to play well and to show that you can that you can play with the top teams in the world and they're going to have that chance right away in the group phase and i i know some people might think that you know the u.s might not have a chance but just think back to last summer in honduras honduras was in a group with spain and most people wouldn't expect them to get out of that group not only did they get out of that group they got out of that group ahead of spain uh and they and they they played much better than anyone could have imagined so i think you know if you look at that and you think about the u.s with all the talent attacking count on that team uh, i like that i gotta tell you i like their chances to surprise some people i mean you talk about i mean for this team you're right i mean they have to play the third base uh third place teams advance out of the group but there's still i mean there's six groups 
and uh, only four third place teams. Four, excuse me, out of out of the six groups. Let me rephrase that. Only out of the six groups, only four teams from the third place advance. So the USA also they can't you know bank on advancing out of the third play. I mean they're going to have to perform well, but I mean they got a tough schedule. Spain is the first game, France is the second game, and the last game is going to be against that African team. But still though, Ivis, I think this is a good opportunity for these young players to to you know go against some of some of the world's best and possible guys that they may be playing for eight you know twelve years from now in in other international tournaments and World Cups. So I, I think it's a good opportunity for all these guys. Do, I mean, would you agree on that? No, without a doubt. I mean, this is a lot of people are going to be watching that. That's July uh, after the Gold Cup, and uh, you know, there's not not any qualifiers going on. Well, the Gold Cup will be going on, mm-hmm. uh, but I think most people, a lot of people, are going to kind of have the two TVs on. They're going to have the Gold Cup, and they're going to have the Under Twenty World Cup. And I think for for US fans, the Under Twenty World Cup, so it's kind of an exciting thing. Uh, you know, they didn't make it the last time around, but in in past tournaments, the U Twenty World Cup is always an exciting event just because you, you want to see these young Americans, that next generation, and how they stack up. No, I agree with you on that. All right, we said we were going to table Landon, Landon Donovan discussion, but let's go back to it really quickly as we transitioned over to MLS. Landon Donovan is back. He was at the White House. He gave Barack Obama the jersey, and he's also said some comments about how he understands that it's not going to be you know, a cakewalk for him to get back on this U.S. men's national team. And, and I think from what we saw with what Jurgen's been able to do with a couple other guys, I mean, guys like Graham Susie, who's starting to look better. I mean, uh, Hercules Gomez playing on the left right there. I think Landon Donovan now understands that he's going to have to work for it, and that roster spot just wasn't sitting there waiting for him to, to come back, and he automatically gets it. But still, I, I think it's good to obviously have him back, and it's good to see that, you know, he's he's ready to work hard to, to get back to the level that he used to be at. Well, above all else, just listening to him talk yesterday, he sounds like he sounds like someone who's refreshed and ready to go. You know, he 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 talked over and over last year about needing a break, about being burnt out, and and it seems like maybe he got what he needed out of that trip. And uh, he, you know, if he can come back energized, re-energized, and and look like the Landon Donovan of old, then I, I don't think anyone's going to remember uh, this time off that he took. You know, in about six months' time. All we're going to be talking about is, is how well he's playing, or or how, how much he's struggling. And I think these, these two months, these next two months, are going to be so key for him to not only get back in form, but to show Jurgen Klinsmann that he's a player he has to have on his team. And as you said, while Donovan's been gone, other players have stepped in, and other players have impressed Klinsmann. And, and, and we've seen now a U.S. team that can get results without Landon Donovan. And I know that not too long ago that might have seemed like an impossibility, but you've had a team really come together. So now it's going to be that much tougher for Landon Donovan to get into that into that squad. And you know that being said, I still think he'll get back. I think he's too good a player. I don't. I can't. I can't imagine he's lost that much off off of his game that, that he's still not an option um, at, or even a starter on that team. But again, these next six weeks or so are going to be vital for him. He needs to step in with to the Galaxy and dominate in MLS. Anything short of that, and I think Jurgen Klinsmann might just leave him out, or or might just hold him off and maybe have him play in the Gold Cup, because you know, you know, he's been gone so long and he missed some really important games, and there's got to be some kind of cost to that, some kind of uh, you know, I don't want to say punishment, but other players have stepped up and 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 they deserve the chance to keep going, and it's going to take a little more than just Landon Donovan saying, "Hey, I'm back," uh, for him to get back in the team, and I think he knows that. So, so you expect him to fully, not fully be back, but you expect him to have a, you know, a, g- a good opportunity to come back, you know, maybe not start, but be on the roster. I mean, be, be a bench player. Well, I think if he's on the team, I think he's going to start. He's too good a player 
not to start. I mean, I think, you know, credit to those other guys that stepped up, some, you know, guys like Zussi and Hercules Gomez uh, to play on the wings. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I'm sorry, but an informal hit diamond is still a better wing option than anyone else in the pool. So that hasn't changed. So, it, it's, again, it still comes down to he needs to play well. He needs to step on the field for the Galaxy and show that he's back to being that best 11 uh, MVP caliber, you know, top-notch attacking player. And I think he'll do that. It'll take some time to get the rust off. It'll take a few weeks. But I tell you what, come come May, I think, you know, come late April, early May, I think we're going to we're gonna see Landon Donovan back to his dominant self. All right, Davis, let's move over to uh, to MLS. Uh, we have MLS action going on this weekend. There's some, there's some big games. Uh, one of the first games in your neck of the woods, New York Red Bulls versus Philadelphia Union. New York still looking for that that opening uh, for that for the first victory on the season. They, they've kind of had a tough schedule. I mean, last week they lost to Montreal, one to zero, and now the Union. Uh, I mean, Union are starting to to kind of look a little better right here. What should we expect out of, out of this game right here? I mean, will the Red Bulls remain winless after another another weekend of MLS action? Well, it's really going to come down to who's healthy for them. Uh, there's some questions about their forward attack and who's going to be there. Terry Henry is a question mark right now. He's 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 been nursing an injury. Fabiana Spindle is also injured. So you know, if they don't have either of those guys, then you're, you're going to you, the Red Bulls are going to struggle. I think to find the net even at home. Um, but Henri is talking like he's going to try to play. Maybe he'll fight through some some pain to to get on the field. I think he knows how important a game it is. Um, coming off that DC United game where they dominated play, dominated possession two weeks ago at home, I think they want to build off that, and I think they mm-hmm. they're going to come in with some confidence. But the Union, like I said, the Union, you know, they they had a bye, but before that bye, you know, they put some wins together. They're coming in on a winning streak, and I think. They realize how important this game is. They've never beaten the Red Bulls at Red Bull Arena. It's their chance to do it against a shorthanded, potentially shorthanded Red Bulls team. And they, I think they have a really good chance to get that first win. Well, I, I think for the Union, it's also important for them. I mean, when you look at last season, I, I believe they started uh, 0-4, and now this year they're 2-1. And I mean, this is still a team that, that is kind of coming together. They're still learning how to win. And I know that's not. I mean, people are gonna be like, "Well, learning how to win. What does that mean?" I mean, sometimes you know, it, it. Sometimes when you're a team that's that's trying to push yourself to that next level, you you need to learn how to win tough and and how to secure those victories at the end of games and and play gritty defense and play the full ninety minutes and not take any playoff. And and when you look at the Union Ivis, you know, are are they kind of a team where, let's say, they string together a couple victories that could maybe really put them to the next level, but let's say they go forward and they lose a couple games, would that drop them down a level? I mean, do you think this team is still in that kind of like brink point stage where they get their season could go either way? Well, you know, I think they're a young team. I think, I don't know if expectations are all that high on them coming into the year. Uh, I don't want to say they're playing with house money, but I think they're ahead of schedule in a way. You know, I, I think they were expected to struggle a bit uh, because they didn't really add, I mean, they added some players, but I don't know if they were still considered a real contender in the East. And right now that they're two and one, they have a really good chance of becoming of being three and one if they can beat the Red Bulls. Um, I, I think people will start looking at that and think maybe this team's growing up a little faster than we expected. Uh, you know, that being said, it's still early for them. They're still, I think, they're still going to have some growing pains. Uh, they're still, you know, they're a young team and they're going to they're going to make their mistakes. And I think having a player like Jose Cleberson come in. The Brazilian that they they're getting from from Brazil, who who came in the Freddie Adu deal, once he gets settled in, I think he'll help them in the midfield a bit. <clears throat> but you know, it's still early. I don't think anyone should start printing out playoff tickets for them just yet. I think Union fans should definitely be happy at the early win at early victories. And I know they'll throw a party if they actually get that win in New York. But you know, it, it, 
I think people should be patient because it's it's a long season and the Union are still a young team. Uh, another big game on the West Coast is going to be Real Salt Lake versus Seattle. Real Salt Lake lost last week, two to zero to Dallas. I, I mean, I was at that game. Um, I mean, Real Salt Lake did pretty good when they were missing, I think, about five starters from their team. Real Salt Lake should probably most likely be uh, back at full strength for that game. I mean, Seattle's you know they're they're another team. Um, that's that's you know they've been kind of up and down. I mean they've had a really good, great job in the, in the Concacaf play, but not so great in MLS play. What should we kind of expect out of this game, Ivis? Well, it's a tough one. You know these are two teams that coming into the year, you know most people would would have pegged as being the two of the top teams in the West. And obviously, you know between Real Salt Lake adjusting to a new a new lineup and Seattle uh, uh, along those same lines adjusting adjusting to some new players and also dealing with international call ups. It's been a rough month for both those teams, and I think, you know, now both those both teams are, are getting players back. RSL, as you said, you know, they had a bunch of guys, you know, Beckerman, Romando, Saberio, uh, you know, away on international duty, so they get them back. And then Seattle, obviously, with Eddie Johnson and Mario Martinez back, you know, that's going to help them. I think this could be a really good game, uh, you know, if these guys have energy left from from this past week. But you know, I, I think we're going to see some good soccer in that game, and I think maybe both teams should know how important it is, uh, how important this game still is, even though it's only March, especially for Seattle, who they still have yet to win a game. I mean, which is crazy to think about. I mean, for me, you know, they were my MLS Cup pick to win the whole thing, and and I'm not changing that. I'm not ready to change that just yet. You know, I think they, they're still adjusting. Obafemi Martins has just started to train with them now. Uh, after making his debut uh, before the international break, so you know they're, they're still putting it together, and it maybe maybe it'll take them some time. Uh, maybe it'll be like Los Angeles last year where they had the rough first part of the season, but I think Seattle will put it together eventually. I'm not sure if it's going to happen this week because I think Salt Lake's going to you know they're tough at home. I think they'll host serve at home, but I think this this game should still be seen as a preview of two Western Conference powers. Uh, another game we have here is uh, kind of a interesting game. Montreal Impact, the hottest team in MLS, they're 4-0, taking on Sporting Kansas City, who has been, for the most part, lethargic on the season. You know, Montreal Impact, they're the favorite in this game. I, I think going into the season, no one would have ever expected this. What, what should we take from this game, Ivis? Well, you know, okay, Montreal's undefeated. And for that reason alone, you know, you could argue, yes, they're the favorite going into this game. But it's Sporting Kansas City at home. You have Graham Zussi and Matt Beaster coming back from international duty and coming back from great games against Mexico. Uh, I think this is going to – I think – I see this as a bounce-back game. I see this as a game where KC uh, shows us all why they were picked to win the East and before the start of the season. I think this is a great opportunity for them – to really go at the impact and and it's tough i mean hey no, all credit to the impact and not taking anything away you, you know you don't accidentally fall into a 4-0 record you you, you get a 4-0 record because you're a good team they are a good team but i think sporting kansas city uh, you know i think i think it's just time for them to really start getting it together and, and i think zussi and, and beastler you know they're going to come in confident i mean they both played well they're both rookies in that in that tie against mexico uh, and I think between them and, and Claudio Beeler, the, the the big forward there, I think I think they they have enough pieces, I think to to halt Montreal's winning streak. Uh, in uh, another game right here, we have Houston versus San Jose right here. Ivis, what's your prediction for this game? Well, tell you what, San Jose, even though they're missing a ton of players to, uh, to injuries and call ups at the start of the season, they've been still finding a way to get results. 
Uh, that being said, going down to Houston and winning just does not happen. Visit team, road teams just can't win down there. I think Houston's starting to turn it around, starting to really kind of find them the, their rhythm. And I think I think the Dynamo win that one. I think I think that they're almost all the way back and all all the way to being a really, really, really full-strength team, and I think they're going to knock off the Earthquakes. Mm-hmm. In, in another game right here, we have Chivas USA, uh, who are who are doing extraordinarily well, taking on Vancouver, a team that's also doing pretty well here at the start of the season. And, I mean, kind of when you look at the Western Conference playoffs here, Ivis, these are two teams that could be possibly competing for that you know last and final playoff spot, and it could come. And when you look at the standings in a couple months from now, we could point to this game and say, well, whoever won this game is the one that got into the playoffs. Yeah, well, they, I mean, I agree. They're they're both in that that range now. I mean, Chivas. I don't think many people would have pegged them to be a playoff contender, but you know, the way they've looked through these first four games, I mean, they, they're pretty dangerous. They they have a pretty good attack. Their defense has been the big surprise for me that their back line has been able to keep Dan Kennedy from being completely overwhelmed. I mean, he's still having to make a bunch of good saves, but I mean, I think most people will agree that Chivas is not just a better team than we thought they'd be, but they have a slightly better defense than we thought they'd have. Uh, Vancouver. I would see much better at home than on the road, um, but you know they, they're they're a solid team, and and I think this one, this one's a real coin flip for me. I mean, I think uh, the Whitecaps. I, I got to give the edge to Chivas USA. They're at home. Not that there's a big home field advantage, but I think just from a comfort level, I think they're going to go out there and really, really go after uh, what is normally a pretty tough Whitecaps defense. But I think Chivas USA pulls it out. Well, Ivis, that wraps it up for the for the show today. I, I want to apologize if everyone's listening and complaining about the audio. The internet at my hotel in Dallas is not the best. So thank you for uh, for for listening to the show and, and, and being patient with the audio today. Usually the audio is always 100%, but today it's it's kind of, you know, it's a little iffy, Ivis. But, you know, overall, though, I, I, th- I thought it sounded pretty good. We'll let we'll let the jury of our of our listeners decide that. But I can tell everyone that you know hopefully come next week when when me, when Garrett and I are both both at home and and both able to get everything together. I think we'll get back to to the show that people you know most people come to expect it. We'll start having uh getting some guests back. Uh, I've got a pretty good list of of, of potential guests that that we've been able to put together over the last week or so. So. Yeah, you definitely want to stay tuned to see who who we will be bringing in over the next few episodes. Yeah, so everyone, thank you so much for uh, for dealing with this this week with you know both Ivis and I on vacation, and we had to wrap up today's show a little quickly because I got to go cover a game here uh, in a little bit. So so thank you everyone for for being understanding. We we love all the listeners and we love everyone uh, you know giving us great reviews on iTunes. We appreciate it and we appreciate everyone's comments uh, down in the section on Ivis. I mean, some of them are freaking hilarious. I always read them, so it's always a good time. Well, Ivis, have a uh, have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy uh, MLS action. You too, man. Uh, good luck getting back to Arizona and 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 taking that cold weather away from Dallas, since you've apparently been become the master of bringing cold weather to places. No, 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 no. I actually might wear shorts today. It's actually very nice. It's almost short weather today, but I'm I'm probably gonna wear a hoodie though. So I'm excited to wear shorts. It's it. There's a strong possibility I might do it. <laughs> Don't go getting sick on me now. No, I won't. It's been cold, man. It's it's. It, I think it's it's the wind, dude. It's not cold. It's like the wind is just dropping it by like twenty degrees. So that's just that's what's making it bad. But, but yes, I I will enjoy my twenty hour bus ride back to Arizona. <laughs> oh, that's awful. I thought I thought my travel from Mexico was bad. I had, we had we had the charter flight to Miami, and then like a seven hour layover, and then and then finally got home uh, Wednesday night. But I tell you, it was still worth it. That was. 
for as as every U, as most U.S. fans will agree, last week was a week to remember, and two games that I don't think anyone's going to forget anytime soon. No, it was it was awesome. Actually, it was, it was kind of cool. Side note: I was watching uh, the U.S. with the American Outlaws Dallas out here, and it was awesome when Breck Shea went into the game. I mean, the bar just went nuts. It, it was it was really cool to like be with them and, and kind of experience that. So I had a very good time uh, with those guys down here in Dallas. Well, I guess, as we said, time to wrap up the show here. Everyone have a great weekend. Have a safe weekend. Enjoy the uh, the, the long uh, holiday break for some people. And uh, Ivis and I will be back again next week, and we'll be breaking down more MLS action and recapping the rest of MLS week. Ivis, have a great weekend. You too, man. Thank you, man. And everyone, like I said, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. This is the SBI Podcast. <laughs>